I'm Dapper Dan Gavostin, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals, which definitely count. And I'm Mischievous Marchinacchio, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man as well, including the annuals. But Dan, as far as I'm concerned, the annuals don't count. Well, Mark, I'm sick again, but that's not going to stop us from Spider-Talking. So welcome everybody to the Amazing Spider-Talk, the show where two fans and collectors uncover the strange, fun, and fascinating history of the Spider-Man comic universe. And I discover what medicines are still in my medicine cabinet that I haven't yet devoured. But thank you all for joining us for this review episode of the Amazing Spider-Talk. I just hope you don't have radioactive ibuprofen, Dan. If you want to <laughs> swing along with us on our journey through Spidey's past, present, and future, subscribe to Amazing Spider Talk on your favorite podcast app and leave us a review to help spread the word about our show. Because, you know, like, let's just spread the love and get us out there and have more people listening to us, right? I mean, you know, what could go wrong? Uh, I could think of many things, but I won't go down that road today. There this you podcast, go. on the other hand... Uh, in its all of its wonder, exists because of the support of our Patreon members. If you want to receive early episodes, exclusive artwork, and keep this podcast going, which of course you want to do, go to AmazingSpiderTalk.com and consider joining our Patreon, where all the episodes of Season 6 are going up several weeks early. Yes, you're listening to this, and Season 6 exists on the Patreon. So go there, and you can get uh, several episodes of Season 6 already. Plus, you'll get interviews with some of our favorite Spider-Man creators that we haven't included in the main feed. Today on the show, Mark and I are going to be discussing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 6, Number 23. This issue is written by Zeb Wells. The interior and cover pencils are by John Romita Jr., Inks are by Scott Hanna, colors by Marcio Menez, and of course, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This issue was first released on April 5th, 2023. Mark, why don't you hit us with a recap of this issue? Absolutely, Dan. We opened sometime between a year and 18 months ago. Who really knows anymore? A beefcakey Peter is burying his costume to cover his tracks and probably looking for a hardy animal muscle midriff tank to put on, but alas, he needs to get back to New York City and find out what's going on with MJ back in that alternate dimension. Peter's in bad shape. And not just because he was stuck in Pennsylvania, though let's be honest, I'm sure being there didn't help. Phillies fans, am I right? 
Peter steals some clothes, but he has to take public transit back to the city before he suddenly becomes that Robin Williams what year is it gif with some stranger at the Port Authority. And honestly, given what New York City has become under de Blasio and Adams, is anyone truly surprised by a disheveled guy in the Port Authority asking what day it is? <laughs> Peter catches up with Aunt May and she lets him know that only a day has passed since she last saw him and MJ when Peter thinks it's been at least a week. That's when Norman Osborn shows up and he just wants to make sure Peter is okay before Peter nearly puts him through a wall. Norman doesn't punch back but does notice the spider transponder in Peter's front pocket and I guess we're just going to have to put in Pitt and that for later. So on to the Baxter building to find Reed Richards, but instead Pete gets captured by some tentacles and Johnny Storm and The Thing are telling him to calm down. Peter starts rambling about an evil mathematician and honestly, what I love about comics is that this is probably like the eighth weirdest thing these guys have heard all day. All the same, Ben and Johnny are sympathetic but can't let Peter into Reed's lab until Captain America shows up because they need to figure out why there was an extra dimensional explosion in York, Pennsylvania. And if Peter doesn't like that, he can go pound sand or kick rocks or get beat up. Reader, you pick. So Peter takes off and notices some helicopters in the sky, just like he's Henry Hill at the end of Goodfellas and jump into the fire is pulsating in the background. <laughs> Peter is desperate to find an ally who's alive when Cap himself shows up. And again, he's here to help, but only if Peter is willing to wait around like he's trying to renew his driver's license at the DMV. And honestly, who has time for that? Especially someone whose girlfriend is stuck in an alternate dimension with an evil mathematician hell-bent on sacrificing her. So Peter, of course, so Peter does what any rational person would do and grabs Cap's shield and smashes it against his face. Cap is all like, I understand why you tried to break my face in a thousand places, but I still need to see three forms of ID, despite the fact that this could all be handled more efficiently online. That brings us to Peter scaling outside a building and busting through where he warns the occupant to stop talking and listen. The occupant, naturally, Norman Osborn. Bravo, Mark. Bravo. I got to call back to that party animal midriff tank because I was out on a date with my wife the other day and we went to this little kid shop and there right at the entrance was a little kid shirt with white in, in stark lettering party animal. And I had to have it. My poor son is going to be rocking the Peter Parker do from, from the mid 80s. Man, it's going to be hysterical. I at least mean- for me. I, I think you posted that somewhere on some social media account, which kind of put the bug in my head. But then when I saw it in this comic, I was like, I got I got to go there. And of course, that's J.R.J.R. doing it then and J.R.J.R. doing it now. And, you know, we all know that he would look fantastic in a midriff tank top. So let's just let's just go with it. Right. I I, I don't know. I'm I'm, I'm I'm getting weird. I'm sorry, Dan. I'm sorry. Let's yeah, talk yeah, about the comic. Simp- simping on J.R.J.R., uh, which is easy to do. He's a he's a he's a beautiful man from Long Island. What do you want from me, Dan? <laughs> yeah. Uh, great. A beautiful men from Long Island think alike. Anyway. So I think there's really no way to talk about this comic without like talking about the kind of like core like essence of it, which is like the pace of this comic. I think even Nick Lowe on Twitter said, like, get ready for the quickest read the, uh, this week, you know, and it's not that this thing is lacking content. It's just, man, the way it's written, the way it's drawn, like everything builds this rocket fire pace to like just the book flies. You are moving quickly through it. I mean, Peter's narration is quick and to the point 
And, you know, the art is like pushing you forward with different like, you know, camera angles and and the way that the 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 it reads on the page is liquid smooth and there's a lot of motion like pushing you in certain directions. It's like there's no time to waste. And to me, this is a great setup for tension and a classic Spider-Man trope of I got to save the day no matter what it costs me and I got no time to spare. And I love that about this issue. Yeah, 100 percent. I mean, Dan, in, in my recap, I, I, you know, in addition to getting like my obligatory like late 80s, early 90s reference with like the Goodfellas, uh, Henry Hill jump into the fire sequence where the I don't I don't know. I, I'm sure, you know, the scene, scene I'm talking about that there's the the the, um, the elephant falling out of the sky and he's looking up. I mean, but like that's what this issue felt like. It was real. Like it, it's just like this, like kind of pulsating, tense high octane you're not quite sure i mean you're kind of in peter's frenetic state of mind because he's just like you know i think both the art and just the overall pacing of like how we're going from thing to thing and and like each obstacle being put before him and it's just like you know like this is a friend but the friend is not looking to cooperate and it's like how is i i will i will say this outright you know like i'm finally coming around to the idea of how this whole thing has been structured from the get-go, which is this, now the mystery box is paying off. Because the thing is, we know from the first issue, back way back, that Peter is now on the outs with all these people. So when you start seeing these confrontations happen, including the confrontation with Norman Osborn, which we know is the one relationship that gets turned around, you're just like, Aha. You know what I mean? Like, like it just adds to the tension because, you know, like even if even if the the bad outcome doesn't happen in this specific comic, like decisions are being made in real time in this comic that are going to be for the worse for Peter. That just adds a layer of of tension and drama that we really haven't had in a Spider-Man comic in a while. And and I, I was really riveted by it. I thought this was this was as as tense and intense of a comic that we've had um, in a really long time. Well, I'm really eager to talk about the what did Peter do of it all in the second half of this show. For me, the most like devastating moment in this comic are like the, the page and a half where Peter makes the realization about the time difference between his world and Zibalba, which, you know, seems to be about like a one to seven difference. You know, like, you've, you know, he says like it, it felt like it was a week. But everybody seems to be referencing about a day ago. That moment to me, it's like devastating and drives like the rest of this issue. Like talk about an inciting incident, you know, because like until that moment, Peter's being I mean, it's not that he's not running. Right. He runs away from the police. He doesn't know where he is, but he takes the time to steal clothes and get on the transit and take it into New York. But once he makes that realization that, you know, of this high concept, you know, idea of the time dilation, you know, it launches him into action and it creates this incredibly high tension, you know, which makes you really care about every detail. Like every little hurdle for him is adding on an an exponential amount of time. And so, you you know, the little, like all the details, every panel feels like a, like a hesitation. And I, I thought that was really great. And I think, you know, it's, it's it's cool when a high concept like this, you know, be it the Mayan gods or whatever it is, like there's a lot that's baked in here. 
But when you can ex- uh, explore it from multiple different facets, whether it's like some sacrificial ritual or whatever, and now to add on to that time dilation, it's cool to see this high concept explored kind of like one piece at a time. And for me, having a whole issue dedicated to this kind of time dilation thing was really exciting and very different than the previous issues that we had gotten. What did you think about his interactions with, you know, some some of the different characters? I mean, specifically, like, the Fantastic Four and the Cap interactions. I mean, I feel like they both got a lot of attention, for better or for worse, from people following this issue. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of criticisms of it. Like, these are his friends. Wouldn't they kind of hear him out? I, you know, I, I, I like the whole concept of, like, Peter on the run from the government. You know, like I think that's just a good place for the character generally. Yeah, Whether we, never, it's, we never really got it in long form during like Back in Black and the Civil War era. Like I always felt like there was more to be mined from that, that they didn't go there. So I, I, I agree with you on that. Yeah, it kind of bums me out that like, you know, by issue one, that seems to have been sorted out or, or maybe not. We'll, we'll come to find out. But like there's, you know, not everybody knows Peter's identity, you know, but he doesn't seem to be like being super secretive as Spider-Man, which would imply that like, you know, he's not being chased after by the government still. I've always wanted to see that as like a more long form story. Like you said, back in black, I like uh, for me, the greatest disappointment, I mean, there's a lot of disappointments around one more day, but one of the biggest disappointments of that era is that like, the story they set up to take him on the run with MJ after Aunt May's death could have been a really exciting, very different path to take the character down to see him like fleeing New York and on the run from the government and maybe angrier and and all, it all on the line. Like, uh, it's a bummer we never got those stories. Like, I would love to see a what if that explored that. I do think that, like, it, it, you know, with the shortened page count, if there was one page I'd want to add to this comic, it would be like a page of newscasters talking about the explosions in Pennsylvania, just to establish the stakes of that a little more clearly. Because, like, we have the people saying, and I think it's fine the way it's done. Like, they you know, say, like, there were two, like, extra dimensional nuclear bomb level explosions outside Pennsylvania. Like, that's why we need to talk to you. But I can understand why that might not be enough to satisfy people to believe that, like, the FF and CAP wouldn't give Spider Man the benefit of the doubt. But it worked for me. Like, there's a certain amount of, like, you got to buy into the concept because it's because con- it's comics. And I, I bought into it, you know, especially in the era of like New York right now is very anti-hero after the Kingpin reign. So I'm like, OK, I would understand why the government would knuckle down and the heroes would be questioning things a little bit more. What about you? Yeah, I I mean, like, I got to be honest, like, I, I, I mean, I saw some of the criticism of it, but I really didn't find it to be as much of a case of suspension of disbelief, even as, as you suggest. And I know you're not suggesting like, oh, you had to like completely like close your eyes and go with it. But like, I don't know, like to me, like it made sense. I mean, yes, there was this extra dimensional explosion that was like, you know, what the size of a nuke or something like, or whatever the heck it was. But also like, I mean, like, you know, thing and Johnny were like, yeah, we just got to make sure you're who you say you are. Like, I mean, like, you know, we're about to get a TV show about Secret Invasion in a couple of months. I mean, like, like again, like, yeah, it's comics and sometimes you got to just go with it. But also it's comics. And what have we seen in comics before? Sometimes 
it's a scroll. Sometimes it's Doctor Octopus, says Peter Parker. You know what I mean? Like, like you, 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 you can't. And 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 the same with Cap. I mean, Cap was just kind of like, I'm, I'm here as you know, law and order here. But you know, like I know you're stressed. You're out of your mind. Let's just you know, like pause a mo. Let's just sort through this. And you know, Peter then you know smashed his face with the shield, and you know that's just not gonna set anybody right. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Like to me, like. I, I know that this story has some very valid criticism, not not necessarily this comic, but the overall story has some very valid criticism to me. But like in terms of like, oh, who's in character, who's not in character? I mean, like when you when you put circumstances together, like, you know, obviously from Peter's standpoint, there he I feel like there is a permission structure for him to not be acting as him as his best self right now. His his girlfriend is, you know, the love of his life is stuck in another dimension with someone who's about to sacrifice her. You know what I mean? Like that's, you know, like I would not expect him to be at his most rational and calm. And, you know, no. And the comic explores that too, right? There's that great image of him from slightly below where he's explaining like a crazy mathematician in another dimension. Like, like, you know, okay. It's the FF. If anybody would go along with that, it'd be the FF. But like that panel is written in a way to make Peter seem like a crazy person. Right. But the fact is, no one is saying to him, we don't believe you. They're just saying, like, they don't understand because they have not been in his shoes. They don't necessarily understand just the level of tension and drama that's happening here. They just know that, like, something weird is happening. There's been an explosion. We just got to sort through this. So, like, I don't know. Like, to me, this is this is not a leap. I, I don't see this as a leap. I, I, I really don't. I mean, like, I, I took this at face value. And then when I reread it, because I, you know, I when I reread it, I had that criticism back in my mind. I'm like, let me look for this to make sure, like, I wasn't glossing over this on the first read. And and on my second read, I was like, no, like, like this, this all feels like it fits from a character standpoint, like nothing. And then I feel like, you know, people like Aunt May are, you know, kind of called Peter out on being out of character. You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, like, like for the, for the moments that, you know, this isn't you, you know, like, so I don't know, like everything from a character standpoint, everything felt aligned and everyone I felt was acting as I should be acting given the circumstances. So like, I, I, I just don't really see that, that rabbit hole jumping down that and, and, and exploring much more of it. So. Well, let's not respond to people who aren't us because we both agree on on, on on that manner. And like, and if I really if I really wanted to know prize it, you know, like with the cap thing, because right? he doesn't fight the FF, he just leaves, right? The cap thing, like he knows, you know, if we're gonna go back to civil war, right? Like that cap is gonna plant his feet like a tree, and there and he's not gonna convince this guy otherwise, right? Like he needs, he, you know, cap says one or two days, he's gonna go by the book, you know, and so like. Peter does what he best thinks he can do to get out of that situation, which is to like demonstrate it through force. I totally believed it. And not only did I believe it, I also thought it was super cool, like cool to see Peter standing up for himself and asserting himself in, in this way. And it, you know, he's a problematic guy. We all know Peter rushes into situations without thinking and sometimes like half cocked, if you will, you know, you put him in the ultimate pressure cooker, which is Mary Jane, like you said, in trouble, you know, this story is a story right now about what lengths Peter is willing to go to to save Mary Jane. And again, not responding to people who aren't us. Like, this is a story all about that relationship and how precious it is to Peter, whatever the outcome is. We don't know what the outcome is. Um, so making those scenes so great 
is the art. I wanted to commend this issue for the art. I think this is some of Ramita's best stuff. Whether or not you choose to accept Peter's beat up face, that's a choice. I mean, it is a capital C choice. And if you don't like that, I totally get it. It is weird. I like it. So I'm going to go with it. And I respect him making a choice and sticking with it. It is not. I've seen a lot of people say like, oh, you know, he's so, he, he draws so poorly. It's like, no, he knows how to draw a human face. This is him choosing to do something different. And it totally works for me. It, it sells me on Peter's harried attitude. There's so much to commend about the art here. I just wanted to address that because I get that people are going to be like, what is with that face? It's a choice, but it's a choice that's consistent. It's a choice that, you know, like, like you know, this is, like I said, you, you, you said it best. Is that, you know, like you're either with it or you're not with it. I was with it as well. I And, and again, like you can't talk about a book being tense and moving fast without having the art you know be completely in sync in that in that way and that's what we got in this book i mean every like you said like despite the the kind of haphazardness of the story you know peter's frame of mind and not knowing which way was up or what day it is or what year it is or whatever it is there's such a flow of motion like you know like it, 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 i mean it's funny to talk about this in a comic that you know has a very prominent scene with Captain America in it because, but like this comic as a whole reminded me of the scene in The Winter Soldier where Cap is making the escape from the Shield headquarters and he's like you know he's on the motorcycle and he's jumping onto the plane and it's like to me it's like it's like I always talk about that scene as being like that's that's one of the few times I feel like the MCU truly captures like a comic book tension in motion like it's like everything is just like such in flow from panel to panel to panel to panel and that's what that's what Ramita does here except it's actually a comic so it makes sense but it's like it's it's it's, <laughs> it's the highest form of it you know what I mean like like how how do you capture that level of uh, that level of dynamic motion and flow of thing to thing to thing because like you said from a plot standpoint there's not a ton that happens in this comic it's just going but you know it's beat to beat to beat to beat and and the art just carries it from page to page to panel to panel uh I I mean like there's not a wasted not a not a wasted page or panel in this whole comic yeah, I, I love his like pan, just his panel choices. It, it, we we try to talk about art on the show more, and you know sometimes I don't have the language for it. But like someone like John Romita Jr. makes it so easy to talk about his art because it's it's like I say this about Spielberg's work too, which is when you watch it, what he's doing is, seems so obvious. Like oh, that's obviously the right choice for for this, you know. Like, but there's something genius in its simplicity. Like, like, of course it should be, should be that, but like it only take, it takes a master to highlight why that is the perfect choice. You know, like you, it's, it's easy to spot a perfect choice because it's perfect, you know, and here like things like the boxy six panel pages, when there's a lot of movement, it moves quickly that the images don't invite you to spend a lot of time with them. Whereas like when something really gets in Peter's way, like the introduction of, you know, the human torch and the thing or cap. We get the full page spreads that invite you to look around the page and and they feel like these big forces that are in the way of Peter. And then it speeds back up again with smaller panels and horizon lines become Dutch angles to make you feel unsettled. And, you know, like there's this, there's a scene of Peter 
climbing down a building without his Spider-Man costume on and the angle of the building keeps shifting and it makes you feel really like ill and gives you some of that vertical vertigo of what it would mean for Peter to move through Manhattan quickly or like as he's swinging like he's not swinging like full bodied like he is in a horizontal line like he is or parallel with the ground because he's hurling himself so quickly through the air it just emphasizes how much he's pushing himself like that he himself has become an arrow you know of, of some sort and like all of that I think is just so brilliantly captured on the page you know there's great action quick movements in panel like the when his hand collapses and it springs onto Captain America in a sort of like transparent shadow I, I just I cannot gush enough about the images in this comic Anything else in terms of just the visual stylings of this book you want to hit on? I think we take it for granted Joe Caramagna's contributions to the books. He's just been on it for so long. It's almost perfunctory that we say his name, if, even if we don't get it right for most of the time. But like an issue like this makes it really obvious how much care he can put into something when he has the time to do it. Like his text layouts perfectly go along with the way JR has like laid out his page. It's just so smooth. Like I, I, I would challenge any comic creator or somebody who wants to get into comics to go through this book and draw a red line about how the image is guiding your eye through the page. And, and Joe and JR are a perfect team for this, but there's a lot of like other font choices here. Like, um, like we're bent word bubbles to indicate that the person was either a cut off or change their, their inflection or attitude. There's like canted text boxes and like big brashy sound effects. Like this is a great example of like, I would show this book to anybody studying lettering, you know, just to also shout out Menez. Like we're, we, we see the passage of time through the day. It starts at the dawn of the day and we end at the sunset. And you know, that, that also re you know, re further emphasize how much time is passing. And I love it when a colorist can like, add some real world grounded realism, especially in a book all about time. Anyway, this is a triple a art comic book. One of the, and I think this is one of Marvel's best teams of artists at the current moment. And it's what I want from comics. You know, like this is a comic book. I, I can't say enough. This, this one blew me away with the art. And I think it's one of the best ones we've gotten uh, yet in this run, which I think is a run full of great art. Sorry for my soapbox, but I but I, I feel very passionately about the art in this comic. <laughs> All right. Well, why don't why don't we talk about the other place where, you know, Dan, you can go on and on and on about art, which is, of course, our Slack. Hundreds of listeners like you hang out in our community of Spider-Man fans on Slack. The amazing Spider-Slack community is absolutely free to join, and you can jump into active conversations with awesome people about collecting, conventions, movies, new comics, old comics, and more. Dan, what the heck's been happening in the Slack this week? Well, Mark, this week in the Slack, I don't think there's really much we can talk about other than, like, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about these comics, but, like, man, that Across the Spider-Verse trailer dropped this week. And not only are people picking it apart, but um, we're all so excited about that and talking about that movie and our favorite things from the trailer, you know, our excitement for seeing Mayday on screen. Um, I got to tell you, Mark, I don't know how you felt in the trailer, but like both these trailers have already made me cry just watching them. Like I can't I can't say that I've ever experienced that with a trailer before. And maybe I'm just <laughs> too caught up in it all. 
famously, like the first movie convinced me to have a child. So I'm probably <laughs> a little too much like built into this. But these trailers have been just fascinating and beautiful and. I, I can't wait to see them elevate the art form even further. Uh, do you have any thoughts on the trailers? Uh, I mean, just I, I, to reiterate what you just said. I mean, yeah, it's it's not that I felt that the sequel was going to be like a cash grab or something like that. But like if there were any concerns that maybe the same amount of thought and just kind of emotional tremor or, or, or tenor was going to be different in this sequel. I, I the, the, So far, the, the trailers have put that to rest for me. I mean, like, this looks like it's going to be every bit is locked into the mythology and uh, of this character, um, of, of this universe, as the first movie was. So I'm, I'm very excited by it. Yeah, my fear was always that, like, the first one flew under the radar and now that it won an Academy Award, all of the, you know, muckety-muck, you know, higher-ups are going to try to get their fingers in it. And, you know, being split into two parts was kind of terrifying for me because that seems to, like, emphasize, like, the bloat that a lot of, like, studio-driven things and money-driven things are doing. But, like, so far, the trailers have really worn their heart on their sleeve, enough to make me emotional watching them. It, to be honest, like I'm excited about seeing all the spider people, but I suspect that those are just going to be one or two sequences and the rest of the movie is going to really be about who this character is and what where his heart takes him. And I, the trailers have restored my faith, you know, ever be it lacking for these projects. And we've been talking about it in the Slack. So anyway, uh, join in on the fun. Come join our amazing Slack. There's a link in the description of this episode that'll let you sign up in less than a minute. And we hope to see you there. We're approaching a thousand people in the Slack. So, you know, come, come be one of those people. All right, Mark. So this comic snuck in an obligatory Mets reference, not just any Mets reference, a sort of uh, joking acknowledgement about how terrible the Mets are as a team. And I thought I would allow you this platform as a maybe self-loathing Mets fan to, to talk about the Mets and Peter's relationship to the Mets and this comic's relationship to the Mets. Mark, did you have anything to say about that moment? Uh, well, I mean, Dan, I, I, you're talking to someone who, you know, bought a, a Sunday ticket package this past year, not realizing that his first Sunday game of the year was going to be Easter Sunday. So, you know, instead of doing stuff with my extended family yesterday, my, my wife's son and I were, you know, at City Field, very cold because it was like just kind of, you know, just had a nice little ch- chill in the air in New York yesterday. And it, just in general, and they, they were down 6 nothing early. I mean, you know, just a, just a typical miserable Mets day. So, you know, kind Wouldn't of... Wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I, 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 you know I, I, I always do take umbrage with like, you know, people like to share that clip from the Family Guy where it's opening day and it's the first pitch and they say the season is over. See, that's incorrect because the Mets actually have the best opening day record in all of baseball so it's it, that's the thing it's it's it, opening days the the pinnacle usually for the Mets it's then everything that comes after that's always like the pain and the suffering you know what like the fact that this comic came out like in the middle of like opening week and stuff like that I mean come on Nick Lowe like what are you doing I, you know like 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 like, <laughs> like, you, like you haven't you haven't kicked me enough 
when it comes to this kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know if I have a lot. This I, uh, The Mets kind of got me down a little bit this year. I just don't think they got the same spark they had last year. I, I don't know what to say, Dan. It's just like, I mean, of course, in a comic where Peter is like at his nadir, you know, they're going to just like, you know, rub in uh, a Mets suck reference as well. So like, you know, screw you, Marvel. How about that? Screw you, Marvel. There's no time for anything. But we'll always take time to knock the Mets while they're down. Yeah, you know. Uh, that, that, that seems to be the mantra here. I mean, you know, at least like who, uh, I'm trying to remember. There was some creator that like put him with the Yankees and I was just like, what is this? Like it was probably J.J. Uh, Abrams or something. I don't know. But uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, I wanted to return back to the uh, thing you were talking about at the top of the episode, which is this whole like as t- this goes on, you seem to be sold more and more on the mystery box approach and, you know, and the whole idea of what did Peter do? And I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I think I was more in a wait and see, um, but I think this is really paying off wonderfully. And the, I, I feel like the more time that goes on that we don't meet this exact moment of what did Peter do? Because I think, yes, stuff is bad right now, but I don't think we still have seen the thing that puts them all on the outs. Like, yes, he like got into the FF kind of and cap, but they all seemed pretty forgiving of Peter and his situation. And so like, you're like, okay, that's bad, but something is going to happen. That is way worse than this. What could that possibly be that the book is like, you know, is guiding us that Peter is ultimately driven to do like what extent could, could he be pushed to do something that this whole book would fixate it on. And the longer that goes and the more we see even like microaggressions that aren't that, the more it makes me think that that thing is a monumental and it builds up my excitement for it. Will it ultimately be worth it in the end? I don't know, but I tend to think given the record so far that Wells knows what that is and has been very clear about that in his mind from the beginning. And I hope that he has judged his audience correctly because so far, I, I, I'm finding this very thrilling. Yeah, I mean, for me, what is what is the most significant about this is the fact that it, I, I feel like Wells is is paying off everything that he seeded, especially in that first arc, you know, way back. Um, what was that, about a year ago now at this point? Like, I, I, time's a flat circle. I think that's why it's working. Like, and, and, and frankly, with other mysteries with other creators over the last couple of years. And, and I mean, going back all 10 years of our show, frankly, I just don't feel like they now, now granted we are not at the, we're not at the finale yet. So like, you know, I, I say this with, you know, now two thirds of the story in the can, but I feel like we are starting, like you said, the microaggressions and whatnot, we're starting to see, all of the ground that was seeded and and you know the groundwork that was laid is 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 being paid off bit by bit by bit and it's all making you know it's all making sense now to the point where like yeah now i really want to see like what's what's the deal i want to see what what he actually did not because it's just like get on with it already but now it's like oh man okay so if he did this and that's not the thing yet what's the thing going to be because that's you know, what like you said what's even worse than this I was I was speaking with someone on, on it was either Twitter or the Slack or something about the Norman Osborne stuff. And it was like, like, 
you know, I still don't believe over the long haul that this Norman Osborne Peter alliance is going to be a status quo that gets maintained. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, I feel that this is an alliance that is made to be broken and it's going to be broken probably in a very tragic for Peter way, because that's just how it is. You know, <laughs> you know it, can't, it can't go differently. But like to kind of see how this is now starting to come together, like like, you know, like I was kind of as we saw it in the earlier issues, I was fascinated from, a, oh, OK, that's a that's a that's a choice. Let's see where they go with that. But now that we're starting to see like where that is being, you know, where that groundwork is laid, I'm like, OK, I want to see more of this. I Like, like I'm very I, I'm I'm about to assume that, you know, the opening of the next issue is going to be a lot of Peter and Norman and it's going to answer a lot of those questions. So like I, I, so that's where it's working for me. I mean, like I think, you know, I I have was admittedly scarred and you you know you warned me from the onset that you know when they opened this whole arc with a mystery i was just like okay you know like we keep getting mysteries and you know they're really not paying off and you know i'm not feeling they're being rewarding and it's like like you said zeb wells clearly has everything scripted out he knows he knows what the finish is, you know, like this is not, you know, we're not playing improv here. We're not playing jazz. I'm going to do a jazz uh, metaphor for you. Like it or like it or don't like he knows where this is going. And this story proves that to me. Like it's like, OK, like he one way or another, like this is this is all going to crescendo in a way that makes sense, because that's the way this man has clearly been writing it. So, OK, I don't know if that rambly rant made any sense but you you, you no, go no, now. and I, I think the reason i was like kind of more confident in the beginning was i read it as a guy that was really choosing his words very specifically like all the descriptions and all of the scenes in the first few issues were very specific like there was like you know obviously it's it's meant to make you feel unsettled in some way like like why is it like this but it wasn't just like vague things are different now. It was like a very specific type of different that suggests like there's a series of events that are going to get us to this point. Like, you know, uh, uh, yeah, not to say other writers have made stuff up as it goes, but it felt very specific to me and very controlled. Ultimately, we're going to see. But like I, I he's got my confidence you know, one of the things I am concerned about, though, is like I do say I'm excited for this whole what did Peter do in finding out that big choice. But I, I do want to acknowledge the what did Peter do of it all is a marketing thing, right? That has not appeared in the pages of the comic, right? Like that is something that they were using to market issue one with that scene at the start of issue one. Uh, now, we have seen the marketing team not be completely aligned with the product team, you know? And so I, I do worry that like, if we buy into the marketing too much, you know, and, 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 so, and far be it for me to be the guy that's like, don't buy into the marketing. Cause that's normally my deal. You know, I, I do, I do want to let this story play out. And if there is no big, like what did Peter do acknowledge that that's not a promise the writer has made. That's a promise the marketing team has made. I mean, I, I'll only push back on that to the degree of like, no, those words themselves have not showed up. But like, you know, if you go back to that first issue, there was cl 
clearly something Peter did that put him at odds with so many of his core supporting characters and and clearly something that he did that caused him to no longer be with Mary Jane and for Mary Jane to be with another man with children you know what I mean so like like so in that regard he did do something but like you're the the the, and we don't and we don't know what he did you know so like I, I I I get what you're saying but like yeah, I like I don't I don't feel like the story is going to end with someone, you know, the narrative box coming across being like, and that is what Peter did. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> what um, Peter did was the friends we made along the way. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, with great doing comes <laughs> what Peter did. I mean, I don't know. That's that's all I wanted to just kind of clarify on that. So, well, on that note, do you think that this is a point of confusion for me? Have we seen the moment from the start of issue one already? Like my expectation was that this issue would start with that moment, right? Of him in a smoking crater, holding the device, his costume torn up, but it didn't. It started with him burying the costume. So like, are we meant to believe that that moment took place in between these comics or is that a moment that is yet to happen? That has me a little confused and maybe that's intentional. I don't know. Like, is he going to repeat something that looks very similar and cause another explosion? In my mind, that moment we've passed already and it was just off page. But it's weird for it to not replay that image in some way. Yeah, I mean, we still don't know 100% how time is working in this other dimension. And like you said, like there, I don't know. I, 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 I'm, I'm out of the speculation business, Dan, you know that. I mean, it's it's not even like a speculation more than like, do you read it that way? Or like, or, or am I good right to question this? I think you're right to question it, but I, I also feel like, we don't we, we really don't have all the information you know what i mean like like i wouldn't make an, a, a presumption on anything just yet you know what i mean like like you know like i would put a pin in that thought because maybe something was yeah just, who knows yeah was just created incorrectly or or unveiled incorrectly initially but like we just don't know yet you know what i mean like we still got and, and these these next two issues are going to be larger than usual issues correct Yes, they are. I, I believe twenty five and twenty six are double sized. Okay, so this is this is three more parts, right? Or is this two more parts? I I, I keep. Oh, getting maybe confused. I'm wrong. May, maybe twenty four and twenty five are double sized. You're probably yeah, right that it's that. Because yeah, because twenty four would probably be Legacy seven twenty five, right? So you're that's, right. Yeah, you're there's right, you're there. Right. There's there's your marketing. <laughs> 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 Any anyway, I, I not seven twenty five, nine twenty five. Sorry, I'm I'm put I'm two hundred yeah. I'm two hundred issues away. Anywho. Oh no, Mark, that's where we started this show. <laughs> ah, ah, time warp. <laughs> You've been in Zabalba. I know, right? But I I mean, look, it's a valid it's a valid question, Dan. I just like I I just there's a part of me that's like I'm not gonna jump on that yet because we can. You know, comics. We can we can we can we can undo all that in a heartbeat if it's like. But now there's time travel and he's going back. But this is happening instead. And, you know, like anyway, it's just I, I'm totally okay with it happening off page 
and just having that you have to fill in the blanks with what you know before. I just was unsure if I was intentionally supposed to read it that way. That was unclear to me. So speaking about things from issue one, I actually thought it was really cool in this issue, the parallelism that's set up with the first issue. Like we revisit all the people that Peter was on the outs with in issue one in the exact same order, right? So we see him with Randy and kind of shrugging Randy off and and running out of the apartment. We see him with Aunt May and and the, the kind of fracturing of that relationship in some way. And, you know, ultimately, and we see him with the Fantastic Four, you know, so that's the exact sequence that we got in issue one. And we see kind of like the kernels that set up like why that relationship, you know, is the way it is and how much further they have to go to get us back to where we started with in issue one. And I thought that it's definitely intentional, this parallelism uh, back to that issue. But I want to ask you about the Aunt May scene because, you know, we, we see her picking up Peter's debt. Uh, you know, and how much it might it might actually be. But then there's a moment where, like, that takes you back to the end of issue one, where she kind of, like, has this kind of knowing acknowledgement that Peter is lying to her. And here, like, we get all the evidence for why she might believe that. Like, here's a Peter that, like, has a physical prowess that we've not seen. He's attacking Norman. He looks beat up. Like, if there was ever a moment for MJ to suspect that Peter was involved in super heroics or whatever. I mean, talk about ammunition. Like I won't say whether or not I feel like we're going to go back to the Peter outing himself to, to Aunt May thing. Yeah. I thought this was really an interesting scene. Like, cause it's very rare that Peter is that unhinged in front of Aunt May. Yeah. I mean, again, I think it, uh, it speaks to just how unhinged he is in general. I mean, like I, I, like I, I, I don't feel there is a parallel for Peter being in this state of mind. You know what I mean? Like, like he, he is, he is separated by a dimension following an extraordinary explosion after fighting a God from the love of his life. So like, I, I just don't, you know, like, I, I don't know what you would compare that to. Uh, I, I, you know, like when Norman killed Gwen Stacy, I mean, it was like the one and only time Peter almost like very willingly killed someone by his own hand. And then he, you know, stops himself and that like he had that moment of recognition the last second. I feel like right now, like in terms of his desperation and despair, we're, 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 we're close to that right now. You know what I mean? So we just don't know. Yeah. I, and I love the little details in the scene, like when Norman puts his hand on Peter's shoulder as like a sort of calm down kind of thing and and Peter shrugs it off and if you look on the hand there's like a, a watch and the idea that like Peter even looking at the calming presence of a hand sees the time is ticking by I think is a really like clever uh, inclu- inclusion on, on, on the panel uh, you know to close off my thoughts on, on, on this and I, I'm curious to hear if you have anything you want to add like whatever Peter did clearly has to do with Norman you know, whether it's breaking Norman's window again, if that's the great sin, you know, poor Oscorp windows. I found it interesting in the final image that like Peter walks in on Norman working on something. And if you look closely, like it seems to be like a turbine of some sort. And throughout the run in the future, we see that Norman is working with like uh, Kamala to on like a, a giant turbine of some kind or a plane or whatever it is. To see it here makes me think that that detail is very intentional, 
you know, or at least as a way to demarcate time, right? Like we got a turbine and then later on we have like what looks seeming to be a bigger plane uh, uh, feature. It just makes me think there's something going on in the background with Norman <laughs> and whatever he's building that we're, you know, is like entirely separate from all of this that is yet to pay off. And it's cool to see it be so deliberate. Like, I, I don't know if you read that item the same way that I did, but to me looking at it, it very clearly looks like a turbine. I don't think I looked at it as clearly as you did. I will. I will point out though, because you, I, I, my own rant got me thinking. Uh, th- th- I, I, I did just think of the parallel of like when Peter goes after Norm and he's like pushing him against the wall, a la you know his death in Amazing Spider-Man 122. So anyway, just I just oh I, yeah, that's true. I, I appreciated that kind of callback to 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 you know like it was just a nice little callback there. Do you want to give this thing some grades or oh w- wait. There, there is one more star of this comic. Do you want to, do you want to touch on it, Dan? Well, uh, I, I will. In the back of this issue was another letter printed by Nick Lowe uh, from me that I, I, you know, I've gotten two letters in recently. The reason I wanted to kind of point this one out is like, you know, as much as Mark and I get called shills for this run, I wrote a very negative letter in about the dark dark web but the key thing to it is that the letter was negative but it was respectful saying why that story disappointed me and you know it wasn't writing in to criticize the comic it was writing in to ask a question which is to say like can you talk to me about the process via which these comics are being made because it feels like I'm reading you know, multiple different books at once or a comic that doesn't believe in itself entirely. And Mark and I were very critical on the dark web storyline and some of the other tie-ins here that aren't JRJR stuff. Anyway, I I don't want to go into a whole rant about Spider-Man Twitter, but like we started the show to kind of model what we thought would be better behavior by engaging with the artist in a respectful manner that everybody is trying their hardest to make good comics and we don't always know what they're up against or why they make the choices that they do. And so that's why I was writing in to see like, can you peel back the curtain for us so that we can understand? And I thought Nick's letter in response to mine was respectful and honest without betraying his team. I mean, that's an editor's job, right? Is to be supportive. And it wouldn't be great if he just wrote in like, yeah, I was disappointed in those stories too. Like (laughs) that would be a bad thing for an editor to do. Yeah. No, you don't do that. (laughs) Yeah. Instead he said like, look like Spider-Man comics can be funny. And I thought it was funny. And that comes down to taste. And to be honest, my letter was drowned out by other letters that thought dark web was really fun and entertaining. So I won't claim to have, the sole opinion on dark web. Does it seem to be echoed by a lot of people and and Mark you as well? Sure. So I know some people probably read my letter and were like, Oh cool. That reflects my, my opinion on this. But also Nick was really nice to say like, you know, I appreciate the readers and people like you holding me to task. You know, like if you don't like something, let me know. But that's to say, I wanted to mention it because I hope that it could model a way of reasonably interacting with these people if you don't like the stories that they're telling. Because, you know, not every story is going to be for everybody. And, and, and I think they should hear it if we're not enjoying something. But they're not going to listen to you if you're an asshole. And my job was to try to not be an asshole. Anyway, this might be a lot of patting myself on the back, but it seemed to have elicited a good response in the back of the book. So I, I hope to keep kind of like 
putting that behavior and, and attitude out there for anybody reading the comic. Who's the asshole now? My God. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. And I'll let, I'll let you cap it off, Mark. What grade are you giving this thing? I, I, I am going to give this a, a, an A-. minus. It's a high A-, minus, but it's an A-. minus. How about you, Dan? I'm giving this a solid A. Oh, uh, there you go. This is a really, really fun comic. Uh, I, I don't have any reservations about it. I had a great time reading this. I did, um, I did and, too. I just, I, 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 I need to, you know, now we need to stick the landing. So like, you know, but like, this is, this is a great middle chapter for sure. So. Awesome. And, and, and normally middle chapters are where things start going off the rails. I did want to address one thing really quickly before we signed off here tonight, which is the, the coverage of the proper Spider-Man book by Dan Slott and, and Mark Bagley. You know, we had talked back with issue one, Mark and I were saying, we don't really feel like this is the title that we've elected to cover on this show. And yet, like, you know, a big name like Dan Slott and an even bigger name, frankly, for me, Mark, like Mark Bagley would normally like command our attention and coverage and we said that we would check back in at the end of the first arc if we felt like hey this book is actually like a really big deal maybe we should be covering it in some way alongside amazing spider-man and mark i gotta say at the end of this spider-verse storyline i still don't feel like this is like a proper main title spider-man book it is it is i mean we we said it last time this is as dan slot a book as it comes for all the pluses and minuses of that. And frankly, I think this is, if I'm being really honest, I think some of his weakest work he's ever done, despite the additional time and the Spider-Boy appearances. I will say I liked issue five a good deal. It's not enough for me to go, Mark and I need to cover this month to month. And, you know, if it ends up being really full of substance, maybe we talk about it every arc, but it's not, like, you know, if you're coming here for our coverage of that, I think we're skipping out on it. Mark, do you have anything you want to add to that? Uh, no, I mean, look, like, I mean, to full disclosure, I'm not a huge fan of this book right now. Uh, it, it, it's outside of the two animated, or, well, the one animated movie and hopefully the sequel. I'm not really a big Spider-Verse person anyway. I, I, I just don't love the concept uh, attributed to Spider-Man. Um, so the fact that this first arc has been so heavily in that mythology and i understand why from a marketing standpoint and why dan slot would be the one to do it from from a marvel editorial standpoint but like it's just like it, it's not it's not scratching an itch for me by by any stretch and then you know on top of that like all i will say in a in a in a uh uh attempt to be conciliatory is just like hey look like if it's anything, it is a clear alternative to the kind of stories we're getting in Amazing Spider-Man right now. I mean, like this is to me, these two books are nothing alike in terms of style and tone and the kinds of stories they want to tell right now. You know, even 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 when we're talking about a quote unquote extra dimensional explosion in Amazing Spider-Man right now, they just feel completely different in terms of style and tone. Dan Slott's book is the most secret scrollsy book I, I think I've ever read. Like, and that's just not Mark and I's jam. Right. So like, like, look, if, you know, if you want an alternative, like that's certainly a book for you. But like, you know, we, we, we have like long kind of, I don't want to say prided ourselves, but like, I think for the sake of our you know sanity and our ability to fulfill our, our, our duties as podcast hosts have kind of stuck to reviewing the main, you know, what we refer to as the main book, which is amazing Spider-Man. And, you know, like perhaps if this activist book was going to, maybe be very 
complimentary in that regard. We could be convinced otherwise, but it's not. It's its own. It's its own flavor. It's its own thing. And you know, I we're I yeah. I don't foresee a reason for us to have to do it. You know, I, I, you know, I'm sure we could like tweet about it or write about it in the Slack. I mean, maybe one day we'll start talking about B books as like, you know, collectively again, but like not, not here and now, I don't think so. Yeah. And, and that's not to say there's not like exciting things in the future. We got a, a, what's, it's being sold as a grounded arc against Electro coming up next. So I'm, I'm curious to see if Dan Slott still has it in him to do a grounded Spider-Man story, all, all puns aside. I don't understand this appeal to Spider-Boy yet, and I'm willing to let that play out. Nothing about that has sold me on the idea of that character. So I'm still on wait and see for the Spider-Man title. I'm reading it, but I don't feel like Mark and I could be compelled to talk about it for any longer than we're going to talk about it today, which is probably already too long. So Mark, (laughs) why don't you take us home? Of course. Well, it is that time, time for all good things to come to an end. So we want to say thank you to you, the listeners and viewers, for tuning in to this episode of The Amazing Spider Talk. Yeah, this podcast exists because of listener support on Patreon. For only $3.99 a month, you can help support our show's existence while getting early episodes, including these reviews the same weeks the comics release, exclusive artwork, and a ton of other bonuses. Thank you again to everyone who already supports us in the work that we do. Plus, we want to issue a special thank you and welcome our newest patrons, Cody Wilson and Chris Sutcliffe. Thank you both. To download our earliest episodes, including interviews with legendary creators like J.M. DeMatteis, Tom DeFalco, Ron Friends, Mark Bagley, and many, many more, subscribe to our amazing Spider Talk Back Issues podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yeah, this podcast episode was edited by Rick Coast. The video version of the show is available on YouTube and is edited by Alex Galucki. And if you're not experiencing those, you really should. The video versions of, of all the shows are amazing. Our artwork comes handcrafted by artists Ron Friends, Sal Buscema, Ray Sumzer, Josh Sutton, and Nick Cagnetti. Our theme songs were produced by Rylan Bojack, Tony Thaxton, and Spider-Madge. And our animated intro was created and performed by Josh Sutton. So Mark, until the Mets win the pennant, what's our motto? At two, Dan. With great podcasts, there must also come the amazing Spider-Talk. Don't, don't miss the next in